If you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to the book of James. As I said last week, if you don't know where James is, it may be best to start at the back at Revelation and go the other direction. Um, But it's in the New Testament. If you get to the big book of Hebrews, it's just to the right of that. So the book of James. And as you turn there, if I could pray one more time for our time in the Word together. Let's do that. Lord God, we open your Word, and we can read the words on the page. We, We know how to do that. But Lord, only you can write them on our hearts and help us to to change. Only by your Spirit can we really read and see and understand what is written here. And so we ask for the miracle of illumination and the power of your Spirit to apply these words to our hearts. So it help us not to, as James will later say, look in the glass and not change, but that we would look in the mirror of your Word and we would um, change our perspective and leave from here different because of our time in Scripture. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So James chapter 1, and we're going to be um, in less verses than I expected, just in 2 through 4 this morning, but I promise we'll slowly start taking bigger chunks of the book of James. Um, so the the sun did come out yesterday, if you saw it, um, but it was certainly not a, a warm and, and beautiful Derby week here in Louisville. It was pretty nasty. Um, and even though it is May, I was reminded of the little rhyme about springtime. You know this one, April showers bring May flowers. And you know the joke, what what do May flowers bring? Pilgrims, right? <laughs> which is a terrible joke. and has absolutely nothing to do with this. But April showers bring May flowers. Thank you, Trevor. I'm glad you knew that one. Um, And uh, the point and the purpose of that saying, April showers bring May flowers, besides a good joke later on, is is to appreciate uh, spring rains, uh, to appreciate the fact that even though we despise them, that it reminds us that we don't like the rain in the present, but we like the beauty that comes from the rain. It's necessary to bring about the flowers. Uh, I was reminded, thinking about that, that reading somewhere at the Great Smoky Mountain National Park Visitor Center, that they say the, the consistent and the constant rain is actually what marks, that it sort of marks that region, but it's also what makes all the, the beauty of that region, that it would not be beautiful except for that. So no one wants it to rain while they're on the trail hiking to Cascade Falls or something, but the reason that the trail is beautiful and the reason that there is a waterfall is because it, it rains so much. And so the rain that threatens to keep you off the trail is actually what makes you want to be on the trail to see all these beautiful things. So, uh, all that in mind, John Foreman, uh, songwriter, makes the transition for us from nature to everyday life. Here's a simple lyric in one of his songs. He says, future gardens from all this rain, future flowers from present pain. I like that. It sticks in my brain. Um, because rain doesn't simply fall in the physical world, uh, but it falls metaphorically into each of our lives. Right? We all face trials, temptations testing throughout all of our days. And here in in the book of James, in chapter 1, verses 2, 3, 4, James is writing and he's encouraging us to think about difficulties in a different light. He wants us to not just to see the rain in front of us in our lives, but to remember the flowers that this rain is going to produce in us. He wants us to not just focus on the trials that we face, but to consider the result 
of those trials. And James has some counsel that would initially strike us as strange uh, because he's telling what he's telling us here actually goes against everything that we would naturally do in response to pain and difficulty. Because this is his big idea. This is what we're going to think about and try to unpack this morning. It's this. Rejoice when trials come because of the results they will bring. Rejoice when trials come. That's the strange part. <laughs> Rejoice when trials come. Why? Because of the results they will bring. So I was encouraged. I know a lot of people were reading the book of James this week, and some of you were keeping an eye out for the commands, for the imperatives in this short book. And this is the first one. Count it all joy. Consider it pure joy. Rejoice. And what are we to rejoice in? <coughs> rejoice when trials come. Wait. What? What did James say? Rejoice when trials come. Why? Because of the results they will bring. Rejoice when trials come because of the results they will bring. So we should look at this passage pretty quick so you don't think I'm making this all up. Um, because it goes against everything that's within us to say that. Rejoice when trials come. Um, and I think it's really important to, to really understand this, though, because I think this is a key part of, of what James is teaching throughout the whole book in some ways. That this is very foundational, and that's why he, he starts with this. So we're just going to meditate on these first um, four verses. So I'm going to read it um, here in the ESV, which is what we'll be focusing on, and then I want to read it again in a different version. But James chapter 1, after the greeting, we read in verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let me read it to you from the Phillips translation, one of my favorite ones that kind of gets me out of being all too familiar sometimes with these passages. But this is uh, James 1, 2 through 4 in the Phillips translation. It says, When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed, and you will find you have become men of mature character, men of integrity, with no weak spots. Like that. So James 1, 2 through 4, rejoice when trials come because of the results they will bring. And right away, as we're looking at the book of James, we're thinking about practical wisdom, and we're struck that this is extremely practical. He's addressing trials and temptations and tests in our lives. Because this is what marks our everyday life. Now you may think of trials as something huge every time, but throughout our lives we're always facing tests and temptations and, and trials. And it says here, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet, when you fall into trials of, of various kinds. That idea has to do, this falling into, it has something to do with, with coming upon something that's unexpected. Uh, Luke 10.30 uses the word to talk about when, when Jesus tells the story of a man who fell among thieves. Um, or Acts 27.41, Paul is traveling on a ship, and that ship falls into a reef. Um, and here James tells us that we fall into, we come upon, we meet trials. That's what happens in our lives. Uh, drawing on that illustration of, a, of our lives being like a ship, one commentator said, Life is full of hidden rocks, sudden violent winds of circumstances lying in wait for the believer. 
And we're told that those rocks come in various shapes and, and sizes. Sometimes it's, it's small, it's like a stone in your shoe, and sometimes it's a reef that sinks your whole ship, it feels like. Um, life is made up of trials of various kinds, it says. Um, the story of your life and my life is a story of various tests and trials. Every day is, is different. Uh, but every day has some form of a trial or a test within it, and often these are unexpected reefs that we fall into. Um, so just think about this. Some, some trials are, are physical, from the difficulty of waking up early after a late night of, of studying or, or just staying up too late, <laughs> um, the difficulty of sickness, of chronic pain, life-threatening diseases, at some point in our life, in, in your life, you may have faced, or we, we all may face, um, test results or diagnoses or sudden pain that comes into our lives unexpectedly. We weren't expecting that. None of us ever do. But these are trials. Some trials, a lot of trials, are relational. Uh, some of them are just personal. We struggle with feelings of loneliness or rejection. We wonder if anyone cares about us. We feel like outcasts at school, at at work, even at home, we feel misunderstood, we feel unloved, we feel lost, we feel depressed, we feel filled with a sorrow that we just don't know how to explain. Sometimes the relationships that are meant to bring us joy are actually grounds of deep testing in our lives. We wrestle with anger, we wrestle with resentment, uh, we're hurt by other people, so we hurt them, um, we are disappointed, and so we end up disappointing other people. Uh, we misrepresent other people, and we return the favor, or people misrepresent us, and so we return the favor by gossiping about them. Um, different trials. Money is a source of testing and trial. Whether you have too much or not enough, it can be a problem, right? One of my children recently said about the board game, uh, my favorite or my least favorite part of life is the money. I love that <laughs> because that, that's how some of us feel about not the board game life, but about real life. Your least favorite part is the money. <clears throat> it's nothing but a headache. Um, here, I think James probably is talking about difficulty even because of our faith. Uh, James is writing to Christians who had faced persecution. Um, some of it would have been physical. Some of it would have been relational. Rejected by family and friends maybe for their faith in Christ. So we all face various trials, and, and you could make a list just like I have, and you could make your list much more personal. What are the various trials that you have faced or that you face on a daily basis or that you could face in the future? Uh, Job 5.7 is right. It says there that we are born to trial as surely as sparks fly upward. So as surely as you're going to see sparks go up in the air, we are born to trouble. I was actually praying with a fellow pastor uh, this week, and uh, we were just talking, he was talking some about just the tension he was feeling in a lot of different areas of his life, just an uncertainty. Um, and as we talked, we kind of came to the conclusion that so much of life, if not all of life, is lived within this tension of what we, we sometimes refer to as the already and the not yet of the kingdom. That the kingdom is here, that, that Jesus has come and he's broken in and there's blessing and goodness and, and joy in life. And yet there's also this not yet, where we still live in a world that's broken by sin. We still live in bodies that are broken by sin. We still wrestle with sin ourselves. And we live within this tension. And that brings all these, these trials. Of course, it would be easy, and some people do, just focus specifically on trials, specifically on the brokenness. We become overwhelmed. It's easy to do that. 
the problem of, of pain itself has been a major sticking point for Christianity and for people to, to believe uh, even in the notion of God, period, because there's so much pain. They ask questions like, can there actually be an all-powerful, all-loving God and still be so much apparently pointless suffering in the world? That's a big problem. That's a really good question, actually. That's a question we shouldn't just dismiss. That's a question we should really wrestle with. And we should realize that a lot of times people are asking that question not because of big theoretical suffering, but because they have actually faced really hard things. I don't want to stand here and, and be be glib or, or be lighthearted about difficulty and, and suffering. Because I can say, I can talk about how, well, rain brings flowers into people's lives. <laughs> That can sound really heartless to someone who's faced some real, true testing and difficulty. You know, we're not just talking about inconveniences in life. We're talking about true pain. And I think that's what James is talking about. Real trials, real difficulty. Sometimes it doesn't feel like rain. It feels more like a, like a thunderstorm, right? Or a tornado. Or a, or a hurricane. And it can feel like rain just keeps falling until your life turns into some giant mudslide and everything just goes away and there's people that actually face real extreme pain people who are who have their lives literally washed away in a mudslide people who are starving in venezuela people who are facing war in syria people who are facing floods right here in the in in our own country that have just lost everything this past week and james is going to say count it all joy my brothers when you face trials of various kinds yeah i think we need to let's press on james a little bit here okay Don't just take it and say, yeah, I I get you, James. Let's push him on a little bit. And I think that if we will, that we'll see that he's not being glib. He's not being lighthearted. But this is actually a key to understanding the suffering and the pain in our lives, of dealing with this problem. It's It's not the only solution. This is not the only thing that Scripture has to say about suffering and how we respond to it. But it is very helpful. And I I think it's important for us to think about. So, um, let's think about this question. Can, can we really say that trials are, are truly a source of joy? And if so, how can we do that? So I, I don't think James is, is, is telling us to take joy in trials and, and, and pain because he likes that. Like he enjoys inflicting suffering on himself. Okay, He's not inviting us into that kind of mindset. He's clear about the source of the rejoicing, and the source is something that you can know. So if you follow the... The, the track, he says, count it all joy. So this has the idea of a, of some sort of, of conviction, a settled conviction. He's convinced of something. So he's thinking about this. And then he tells us why. Count it all joy. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? He gives us the answer in verses 3 and 4. You can tell because of that little word, for. Or you could say because. So he's giving us the reason. Why should we rejoice? For. There's something that we can know. There's something that there's a ground for this. And that's what we're going to slowly work out here. So this big idea is rejoice in trials because of the result that they bring. What are the results that they bring? Because that's the reason that we can rejoice. And so we're just going to spend the rest of the time thinking about the two reasons that he gives us. And the first is trials produce steadfastness. Rejoice in trials because of what they bring the result that they bring, and the first thing that it brings is that trials produce steadfastness. That's a word that has a lot of depth of meaning, steadfastness. You could say strong consistency. You could say staying power. 
patience is a is a translation that I grew up with. Let patience grow in you. Endurance. I like that word endurance. Of course, when you think about endurance, at least I think about physical endurance. And physical endurance is something that is built over the time and the testing of, of exercise. So most of us couldn't just get up right now and go run a marathon. If you can, that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, but there's a need for weeks and for months of training of this painful lung-burning runs that you have to do. And the training is marked by waking up with sore muscles every morning and then having to wake up early the next morning to, to run again. Um, there's going to be trials in this, this training, but as a result, there's endurance that is gained. And as I thought about that, I thought, isn't it interesting that even in the soreness that you get if you're training for something like that, even in that pain, there's some sort of joy. Because you wake up and you say, I must have done something. <laughs> I must be growing in my strength. That the, the soreness, the pain that comes from training actually marks that something is happening. And so too, I think the pain of trials signal something. They signal growth and growth in endurance, steadfastness. It's an endurance of, of faith that we're growing in. We're not growing in physical endurance, but trials give our faith this sort of staying power, this patience when things are tough. They build trust in God. We see his power and we see his presence in difficulties in a way that we wouldn't see otherwise. We see God's goodness and his kindness. We see his presence in a unique way through pain. And it's that vision of God that, that we grow to understand that. And that understanding of who he is builds our faith. It gives our faith endurance to stand underneath trials and difficulty. I think that's helpful because I think when I think about growing in faith, often I imagine it happening primarily in quiet moments of personal devotion. That's where my faith grows, is when nothing is going on around me, when I'm not distracted. Or maybe you imagine that the, the main place that you're going to grow in faith is, is right here, is Sunday morning in this service. And, and certainly these are places that we go to grow in faith, that they are so helpful. And yet, it's almost as if this is the, the training ground and and that later on we're kind of going to put some feet to this faith, these things that we're learning about. Our personal the, the disciplines, corporate fellowship, they're important. But our, our growth in holiness and maturity, it's not something that just happens in prayer closets and private moments and, and services like this. It happens when we're walking through life and you hit a trial, you hit a, a temptation. We might even think about our times in, in the Word and in prayer and in church as this place where we sort of get perspective. So like this morning or like this week, you, you read uh, James 1, 2 through 4, and you thought about that. And then we come together and we're going to meditate on it and try to understand so that when we go into this next week and, and a trial comes across your path, you've got a whole new perspective on it. We, both, we all do. We say, you know what, I'm actually going to say this is an opportunity to rejoice because I know what this is doing. It's building endurance in me. God's Word gives us this new perspective, a right perspective, a settled perspective that allows our, our faith to grow and become steadfast and patient in the midst of trials. We'll see later uh, next week that that's not something that naturally comes to us. And even I can talk about it this morning, and you're still this week, and I'm this week going to push back against that. And that's the point of verse 5, is to ask for wisdom. <laughs> God, I, I know this, but I don't understand it, and I'm not seeing it right now, so give me wisdom to understand that. We'll see that later. 
But I think James is very clear here, isn't he? We rejoice in trials, not for the sake of the trial itself, but because it's producing something in us, and the first thing it's producing is trials produce steadfastness. I think another thing that James is trying to address is is the legitimacy of our faith. That 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 trials can be a testing of whether our faith is true faith or or not. Because the question is, what if what if steadfastness and endurance are not the result when my faith is tested by trials? What if when trials come, the only thing that I produce is bitterness and anger and sadness? I think that James wants us to ask the question, and that it would be to say, is my faith genuine? Is this true, saving faith? Now, that's a very dangerous question. It's a dangerous question in my mind as a pastor, because I think the people that ask that question are often the people that struggle with with doubts about their faith and the genuineness of their faith. And the people who don't ask that question are the ones that maybe should. So it's a dangerous question, but I still think it's what, one that James wants us to ask. Is my faith genuine? Because when, when trials come, it reveals something. It shows something about who we are. It's this, it's this litmus test. It, it reveals something about what's in our hearts. Jesus does this with the parable of the soils. So when he explains the parable of these four different soils and the seeds that fall in them, of one of them, this is what he says. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And then he says this, And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So this is a seed that shows joy, receives the word with joy. There is apparent fruit, apparent reception of the gospel. But then that joy doesn't mark his further experience with trials. So this person walks away from the truth, walks away from his or her faith in the midst of difficulties. The the faith doesn't thrive. The faith just fizzles out. So it is a test of our faith. Is our faith true? Is Is it real? That's not to say that struggling with temptations and trials is an automatic sign of a false faith. Because struggling with with trials becoming angry, becoming sad, that's the natural response to trials. That, that's, that's in us, okay? And that's why James has to offer this instruction. If our natural reaction was to rejoice when trials came, then he wouldn't have to say this. Then it wouldn't sound so strange to us. But a false faith is going to have no interest in this mindset, but will despair and will complain and may eventually be destroyed by trials. A false faith will eventually walk away from Christ possibly because they can't accept the truth of this, that trials are actually producing something good in us. But on the other hand, true faith is not destroyed by trials, it's strengthened. It's strengthened to endure. It results in steadfastness. It results in endurance. But that's not the only thing. Another result, second result, is steadfastness in trials produces maturity. So trials produce steadfastness, and then that steadfastness in these trials produces maturity. I'm using maturity to summarize those phrases, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And hopefully we'll work that out a little bit, but steadfastness in trials produces maturity. Have you had this experience where you, um, you go to shut down or you go to restart your computer, and it begins, uh, it says it's going to install some updates, um, and so the screen says something like, don't turn off the computer or don't unplug the computer until 
all the updates are are finished. And that always happens to me when I'm trying to pack up and and leave and go somewhere. And then you know it sits at like 23 percent for 10 minutes. And then you know this is not what's supposed to be happening right now. But you know what I don't do? I don't shut down my computer and I don't unplug it because I don't know what will happen if I do that. If I don't let this update fully install, I may never turn on the computer again. I don't know. And so it scares me. So I wait and I let the update fully finish. So I think what James in part is saying here is that endurance is, is a product of testing, but that if we unplug from the trial too quickly, if we run away from trials too fast, that we miss a further goal. There's a deeper result that happens, and that is this idea of perfection or completion. So it comes, it produces endurance in us, and then James is saying, but hold on a minute. Don't don't run away just yet. Endurance isn't the only thing that this is going to produce, because if you will then let that endurance work further into that trial, you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna see uh, perfect completion and lacking in nothing. Again, this idea of maturity. I think it's this idea of, of being of being well rounded, of having all these character traits that are built into us through through difficulty. Um, it makes me think about a jigsaw puzzle. A jigsaw puzzle with all the pieces. In our house, we have a lot of puzzles that are missing two or three pieces, and you, you do it, and then it just, it's kind of anticlimactic. You feel like you're missing a big part of the picture. Well, I thought about, and I, I never was one, but uh, about Boy Scouts, or you, or you can think about Girl Scouts, and they have those those merit badge sashes, and you see people that are committed that they have a full sash, and they've got badges that are, you know, somewhere else. They, they've They've done all these different things. You know, they have um, learned how to tie ropes and they've cooked over a fire and they, you know, got lost in the woods and were able to get themselves out. And so they get different badges for all the different things that they've gone through. And it's this thing that shows sort of this completeness of their experience that they've done all these things. And I think in, in life, because of God's work in us, our trials can result in, in maturity, in completeness, that we wouldn't be lacking in certain things. And there's some things that you can only learn by experience. You know, there's some things that you can read about it or you can have someone tell you about it, but we must go through it and then we learn something about it. The pain of the testing that we all go through, again, they're like growing pains. They're, they're unpleasant. But they're making us into someone who can stand firm, in the storms that are going to come. Someone, um, so sometimes we, we don't know exactly what trials and testing are completing in us. What is it that we're learning? How is this shaping us? But, but we know that it is shaping us into the image of Christ. I think this all then sort of comes back to this idea of joy. Okay, so rejoice in trials because of the results that are going to come, which are steadfastness, and then that steadfastness leads to this maturity into our lives, okay? And we're not rejoicing in the trial itself, right? We're not rejoicing in, in the pain of the trial, but rather we're rejoicing in what that trial is producing in us. So we don't like trials because we don't naturally like like pain. Uh, no one does. That's uh, Hebrews 12.11 says this, talking about the discipline of the Lord. For the moment... For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. In the moment, all discipline seems painful. It's not pleasant at all. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I love that. It, the peaceful fruit of righteousness through training. 
So we naturally want things to be easy and to be simple. And so testing automatically feels painful and we want to, we want to run away from it. But for the child of God, and this we'll probably keep, I'll keep referencing the garden, but it takes me back to where Jesus prays, take this cup away, not my will, but yours be done. That there's this desire for no pain, but there's a d- deeper desire for the, the will of God. And that's, that's what our desire is if we are followers of Christ. We have a deeper desire beyond just a pain-free life. What is our deeper desire? I want to be like Christ. I want to grow in holiness. I want to grow in righteousness. I want to be mature. I want to be complete. I want to be a full follower of Jesus. And pain then turns into something that isn't just an inconvenience, isn't something that's just that is just difficult, but it's a marker not of the absence of God's hand, but actually of the presence of God's hand. Some people say, there's pain, so there must not be a God. But the Christian says, well, there's pain in my life. That must mean that God is going to do something in me, that God's working in me, that He's maturing me. James is telling us that one of the key ways to reach the goal of maturity is through trials and testing. So our perspective suddenly changes when trials come. And we acknowledge the difficulty, but we can actually rejoice. And why are we rejoicing? Because we, we see how it's going to open this door to greater maturity, greater completion, greater perfection in our lives. So we're rejoicing at the trial itself? No, at what it's producing in us. Of course, you hear a word like perfect. So you can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And you wonder if that's ever going to happen in this life. I will answer that question for you. No, it will not happen in this life. Definitely not. But we know that we will one day be fully complete. We will be mature and perfect in the new heavens and the new earth. In this new kingdom, we will be made perfect. We will never sin and we will never suffer again. I've never thought about it this way before, but you think about that the new kingdom is a place where there is no suffering. In part, that's because suffering is a result of sin and there's no more sin. But it could also be in some sense that there's no more suffering in the new kingdom Because if suffering is a tool that's redeemed and used by God to make us more holy, and in heaven we are full and complete and perfect, there is no more need for suffering, because we have been made who we're supposed to be. Something to contemplate. But James is teaching us this big idea again, rejoice when trials come because of the results they will bring. And what are the results? Well, to start it produces steadfastness, this patience, this endurance. And then that steadfastness in trials, if we stick with it, it's going to produce maturity. And so our rejoicing is not in the suffering itself, but what it produces. John Stott says it this way, Not that suffering, which is an evil, is the cause of growth, but it's occasion. Suffering is not the cause of growth, it is the occasion for growth. And then he quotes this man named Paul Turnier later who says, It's not suffering which makes a person grow, but one does not grow without suffering. It's not suffering which makes a person grow, but one does not grow without suffering. Now, as we think about this truth on a, on a Sunday morning, we're probably all thinking about our individual lives. and what, How am I going to apply this? But I'm also reminded that James is writing to believers who are part of churches, who are part of communities of, of believers. And the reality is that this truth is not something that we can that we can always have just on our own. But there's a beauty to the fact that we can learn this together and we can help one another because I need you to help me understand this and you need me and we all need 
each other. So let me just think about some other some ways that we need one another. I'll give you um, three words to kind of hang your hat on with these. It's uh, remind would be the first one. Okay. So remind. We we need. I need you, and you need me. We need to remind one another of all the reasons to rejoice in suffering. This is not something again that's natural to us. So we need to remind one another of the reasons to rejoice. Now this is going to take tact, and it's going to take wisdom. Okay. Because we all learn from from Job's friends that sometimes you talk way too much. Now, their counsel was wrong, but even good counsel at the wrong time is is bad counsel. So Job's friends come and they sit and they're silent for a long time. When they open their mouth, that's when they get into trouble. So we need to recognize that there's a time to just keep our mouths closed when people are suffering. But there's also a time to, to quietly remind a brother or sister in Christ of this truth. To say, you know what? This is a, I know it's hard, but this may be a cause for rejoicing to see what God is doing in your lives. Now that may be, again, it's something quiet that needs to be said. It may need to be a rebuke. I don't know. Sometimes people fall into despair and, and, and people just need to be woken up out of that. Listen, you are looking at this totally wrong in a sinful way, actually. You are doubting God in the midst of this. You need to see what he's doing. Now, I think that more often than not, we're going to be gentle and kind, but there may be times. But we need to remind each other that God is doing something in suffering. The second word I'll give you is reflect. Reflect. We need one another to help us reflect on what God is doing. So we remind each other of the purpose, but then we also take that next step sort of to say, now what is God doing? Can we peel back the curtain a little bit, maybe in the midst of a trial, maybe after something, and say, what do you think God was teaching you in the midst of that? You know, I think sometimes when people are in difficulty and in trials, the way that we encourage them totally cuts this off, because we just say, you'll get through it, or this too shall pass, you know. Rather than saying, but, but wait, don't just, don't just try to get through the trial. Try, try to, what is God doing? And when we come to the end of it to say, now, now what, what do you think the purpose was in that? What have you, how have you grown in this or that? And to even as we talk about difficulties to others, to frame it in that way, to say, you know what, it was really hard, but I felt like God was teaching me this and that, or I learned how to be more patient in this, or this was hard, but it gave me an understanding of my kids or my wife in a different way. It helped me to, to be more compassionate to people in, in this same situation. So many things that we can learn in trials, but sometimes we just don't take the time to reflect on it. And we need one another to help us do that. So remind, reflect, and then this isn't the best word for it, but I'll say testify. Um, testify, um, witness, I, I don't know, whatever you want to say. But the idea is to that we need one another to stand forth as examples of God's faithfulness. So we need the body of Christ to be filled with people who have gone through difficult times and will then tell us about that and then share it. This was really hard, you know, not just to paint over it with a brush, but to say, I went through this difficulty, whether it was a physical pain or emotional pain or a relational strain or all these different things that we go through. And someone to stand up and say, this was really hard. Here's what I learned. from it. I need you all to tell me that. And you need me to tell you how I've grown. And we all need one another to tell each other the different ways that God has been faithful. Because these stories help us when we're in despair, when we're just losing it in the midst of trial. I can look at someone's life and say, you know what? 
God use that in this way in their lives. We have to be willing to walk with one another. And we have to be willing to be vulnerable with one another and to, to show the scars that are in our lives, to say this was hard and this was a difficult thing and I don't really even want to talk about it, but I will because it helps others to grow. I think that's the beauty of, in part of so many of the narrative portions of Scripture. Why do we have the book of Job? <laughs> Why do we see this man suffering? So that we can understand that God is doing something behind the scenes. James is going to draw on Job in, in, in James 5, 7 through 11 for this very purpose, to say, remember the patience of Job. Remember how he suffered. I think about when I hear the word testing, I automatically think about Genesis 22 and, and our forefather in the faith, Abraham. That God tested Abraham when he said, take your son, your only son, up to the mountain. And that was there was purpose in that, that God wanted to, to test Abraham to see his faith and to help him grow in his faith. Now, Abraham had been tested you know, from chapters 12 through 21. And he sometimes he was successful and sometimes he fell flat on his face. But it was all of that growth through all of those chapters that when it came to Genesis 22-1 and God gave him that test that Abraham was faithful and he did it. And Abraham stands as an example to help us. Of course, as always, Jesus is the greatest example. Jesus is the one actually that teaches us better, that teaches us this better than anyone else. Here are these two verses. One is in Hebrews 2, and one is in Hebrews 5. Hebrews 2, verse 10. It says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect. How? Through suffering. Same word. Perfect, complete, mature, through suffering. Speaking of Jesus. And then Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. 5, 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. How? Through what he suffered. And being made perfect, there's that word again, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus himself suffers in order to be made perfect. He suffers in order to be brought to maturity. Now, is the imperfection in Jesus, does it have something to do with him being a sinner? No. Again, it's this idea of, of maturity, that he learned obedience, that he grew in maturity just as we do through suffering, through rejection and ridicule and abandonment and insult and physical pain and emotional anguish. He suffered and he was tempted in every way like we are without sin so that he would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if Jesus had to do that, <laughs> then don't we? And not only that, but Jesus, Jesus again, we say this over and over again, but, but he's not someone who, who points down the road of suffering and says, go there. He, he stands at the end and says, follow me. That, that that's how he teaches us. So Jesus himself suffers in order to be brought to maturity. And the greatest trial is on the cross. That he, he suffers more than anyone ever has or ever will. But then you read in Hebrews 12 too, that he saw in the midst of suffering the joy of what God was doing in and through him. He becomes our great example of how to, to consider it all joy when we face trials and temptations, knowing that God is doing something greater for his glory. So here are these words from Hebrews 12, 
1 through 3. We've read these a lot lately, but they just fit so well. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, including Jesus, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Then verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In our own struggle, so that we wouldn't grow weary or faint-hearted. This morning, we are to consider Jesus and the way that he suffered and was made mature. But again, as we take the Lord's Supper, we are considering Jesus. We're going to be reminded that of everything that Jesus endured for our sakes, that he was punished for our failures and our sins, and he is our only hope. There's this idea that we can be made perfect through suffering. We can be made mature and complete through suffering. But as we take the bread and the cup this morning, we're also reminded that the only way we will ultimately be made perfect, that we will be made righteous, that we will be forgiven of our sins, is because of Jesus' suffering. We are made perfect through His suffering, the fact that He suffered in our place. We're reminded that He was perfect, and even in suffering He never sinned, but He rejoiced in what God was accomplishing. As we consider Jesus, we remember that the greatest pain in the world, the greatest evil in the world, the greatest trial, the greatest testing that anyone ever faced resulted in the greatest good. And that's how Jesus rejoiced in it. And we're reminded that he will come again. That he will come again and make us perfect. The cross again stands as the greatest witness to the fact that God can bring good out of evil and pain. We can rejoice in the cross as the hope of our salvation. And we can rejoice when trials come because of the results that he is working in us.